0: The Nail in the Coffin. Welcome to The Nail in the Coffin. I'm Tom, he's Travis, and hey, what do you know? It's the day after MLK Day. And the Cavs are once again in disarray after another loss to the Warriors. Trav, uh, how are you, buddy?
1: Eh, you know, I've been better. <laughs> I'm, S- I'm sort of. Uh, I think I'm, I'm, I'm about as close as I can be as, as you know, just sort of done, for lack of a better
0: term. We'll, uh, we'll get into that. You sent me a text message today that I. Found a little bit surprising. I, I did the uh, the blinking white guy uh, meme basically uh, sitting at my desk. But uh, we, uh, we also are joined tonight uh, by our old friend of the show, Nick Carabine. Seabone, how are you, sir? Good. How are you guys? All right. Um, Fantastic. You know, I I went digging into the archives and figured out this afternoon, the last time that we had you on, the Cavs had just lost to the Warriors on MLK Day, and they were two days away from firing David Blatt, so I don't know if that means that Ty Lue should not be picking up his phone anytime soon over the next few days, but uh, here we are once again. Uh, Nick, Let's start with you. You guys guys
2: always uh, ask me to come on when it's rock bottom, uh, (laughs) because... I could like it, like you said. I was on uh, right before David Blackout fired, and I remember this summer you guys asked me to come on. It, it didn't work out, but you asked me to come on right when uh, Kyrie requested his trade. So, well,
0: in, in times I'm of on duress, the show, it
2: means the Cavs are in uh, disarray.
0: Yeah, it's uh, we're we're definitely at that point again. Um, what did you take away from the game last night, if if anything, and where are you, just to kind of get the scene set for us here where do you stand on where the Cavs are big picture right now
2: well I guess it depends on what you mean by big picture I mean do I still think we're the best team in the east probably I do but do we have any shot of winning another championship as currently constructed there's absolutely no shot um I, you know first off you would have told me back in september october that we'd be coming in about eight and a half games behind boston and three and a half games behind toronto and sitting in the third seed or only about a game and a half away from the fifth seed i would have called you guys crazy but um you know it's another january blues it's the fourth straight uh mid-season kind of meltdown that this team is showed us year after year, but uh, unlike the previous years, I'm, I'm not as confident as as we'll get it turned around unless uh, some major changes come uh, come out our way.
0: You know, it's interesting you mentioned that, um, just because uh, you're not alone in that opinion. Uh, we found out this morning in some of the articles that came out following last night's game, I, I believe Joe Varden of uh, Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer, Jason Lloyd of The Athletic, and uh, Dave McMenamin of ESPN. Those are the three guys that travel with the team. Uh, they're there every day. I've kind of uh, got the trust of LeBron and uh, some of the other elder statesmen around the team. We we get these stories all uh, basically coordinated. It sounded like there was a, almost a mini second press conference last night away from the, the, you, the uh, bigger crowd uh, of media assembled for that game. And um, the message we got was pretty much exactly what you just said uh that uh, is presently constructed you know this team's always managed to figure it out in years past and uh might want to make a a long hard look at the roster this year because there's no guarantees that's going to happen Trev, what uh, what did you take away from those stories leaking out this morning um
1: I don't know that I really took a whole lot from them I, I took that the players are are being more candid and honest than maybe you'd normally expect them to be um I don't know that my opinion of the Cavs, quite frankly, has a whole lot to do with the actual Cavs. Um, I think it has far more to do with Golden State. And Golden State, obviously the game yesterday was fairly close, and I'm not even taking a whole lot from the game yesterday. Um, It's just I don't know that there's any feasible thing that they could do that would significantly bridge that gap. And the gap is pretty huge right now. And that's not to say, you know, the Cavs aren't going to be pretty damn good. And I think we're probably all sort of in the mindset that until someone proves otherwise, we're taking the Cavs to the Eastern conference or taking the Cavs through the East. Right. So it's one of those things where it's just, it it just is what it is. We're not going to be able to, I don't see any plausible way we catch up with golden state. The only way I see, the Cavs winning a title is if something happens to Golden State where, I don't know, someone gets hurt or they somehow get bounced by Houston, which I also don't really see happening. Um, it, it's just one of those unfortunate situations where they're. I just don't think they're good enough and I don't think they can be.
2: Well, the sad thing is I'm not even so sure we can keep up with Houston either. I mean, even if something were to happen to Golden State, um,
1: I'd like I, my chances
2: I, a little bit more.
1: I'd like my, I actually like my chances a lot more in that case.
2: Um, I, I think what the biggest problem for the Cavs right now, and they got a lot of dead weight on their team right now. Um, and I, I know Tom, you follow me on Twitter and I, every single game, I am pleading for someone to tell me why J.R. Smith and Jay Crowder continue to get the minutes that they're getting. J.R. Smith is averaging the second most minutes on the team. And I mean, he is not being productive whatsoever on either end of the floor um you got jay crowder who came in i thought jay crowder was going to be a very underrated piece to our team i thought he was going to be kind of that pit bull, that uh tough physical presence and he's just almost as non-existent as jr smith and um i think i think i don't know what you can do to add to this team but i think you might have uh some success with um if you get, you know, maybe not get rid of some of the guys, but, you know, start playing some other guys over, you know, Jr. and J. Crowder and, you know, kind of uh, addition by subtraction type situation.
0: Yeah. What? Explain to me what the deal is with this, because, you know, maybe in the context of trying to compete with Golden State, this is just shuffling deck chairs in the, tit- on the Titanic. But, you know, at the beginning of the season, we saw Dwayne Wade in the starting lineup. And that very clearly wasn't working. And Ty Lue had no problem within two weeks pulling the plug on that, moving Dwayne Wade to the bench, putting JR back in the starting lineup. And I mean, as you said, you know, JR is not really figuring it out. And all the struggles that he had last year are continuing on to this season. Um, But Dwayne Wade's looked great pretty much off the bench running that second unit. But for whatever reason, it seems like we've been going for a solid three weeks, probably closing in on almost a full month now with um, a rotation that is not working. And it feels like there's an obvious solution here. I mean, the second unit during that big winning streak that the Cavs had looked absolutely phenomenal. And Tristan comes back, gets put into the second unit, takes Channing Fry's minutes and the second unit goes off a cliff. And, um, I agree with you in that Jay Crowder has not looked like a good fit with the starter with the starting lineup and the starters there. Uh, Jr. the same thing, and yet game after game after game it just. I, I I'm just baffled as to why it it it, it seems like Ty Lue's almost been so hard headed about this when he was very willing to be flexible and mix things up earlier in the year.
2: Well, I think another issue going on off all that, I mean, the coaching, I mean, uh, you know, just everything you said, I mean, you got to wonder if Ty gets it. I mean, he's struggling mightily with rotations. Um, he clearly is not sticking with what was working for the month of, uh, games where Tristan Thompson wasn't there. And, um, you know, even, you know, Tristan has been playing better individually the last couple of weeks. But I mean, even with that, I mean, he's not making his teammates any better. He's not spreading the floor. He's not uh, doing anything offensively. Um, he's he's doesn't have a good pick and roll game. I mean, one of the things that they were so successful with before was, you know, that you had Fry and Corver both on the wings who could, you know, pick and pop and, you know, knock down threes. And Thompson doesn't give you that. Um, even, um, Osman was giving you some productive minutes, um, you know, at least, at least with energy, you know, the second unit was, uh, you know, very, uh, energetic and another big of the, you know, another big problem with the team is, you know, they look half dead. Most of these games, you know, all these games, they're, they're playing lethargic. I mean, defensively, the rotations are some of the worst I've seen. What are we second last in defense? I yes. mean that's, unacceptable for uh, any playoff team, let alone a team serious about trying to win a championship. I mean, I don't know if you watch these guys on defense, but, you know, uh, the opponent will blow right by a guard, which is, you know, fine. happens all the time in the NBA, but those bottom guys, the three, four, five guys, LeBron, Love, or um, Crowder, they got to step in between the man and the hoop, and they, these guys are just letting them blow right by everybody. There's no, um, no one willing to contest a shot. You know, they. I mean, they got problems up and down the roster and, and all over the place. And I'm not sure, you know, if Ty Lue is cut out to, to, you know, tell these guys what the problems are, or if he's just creating a culture where, you know, he's just accepting, uh, you know, people to mail it in every night and expect to turn it on in May.
1: Yeah, I think it's they're they're sort of in a weird position where it's it's a bad combination of age and effort and scheme. Like everything right now seems like is is pointing in the wrong direction um age you can't really fix obviously effort is a is a conscious decision and scheme well i mean it kind of is what it is at this point i don't know that this isn't it doesn't feel like it's two years ago where, where you could just swap out tyler for some or for someone else and all of a sudden you know a, a switch will be flipped and they'll look like a different team. I, I know record-wise they're kind of at the same point, and it was right around this time of the season, maybe slightly earlier in the season. Um, but I don't think that's the solution for their problems either. I don't – for all the complaints that we have, does anyone see like a plausible solution, like something that's actually <laughs> – that could actually come down and fix it? I would say it noticeably better.
0: I mean, I would say that I, I don't think – with the roster as presently constructed in any sort of configuration is going to take you past five games with Golden State, maybe six. I also
1: don't see any way that they can change the roster enough to change, to, you know, to change that outlook.
0: We'll get into that. We'll we'll get there. But just in terms of, and I I do think,
1: you know, I'm very negative.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know. And you've got every reason in the world to be, but you know, we'll, we'll, we got the trade deadline coming up here and then I'm convinced that something will happen between now and then. I mean, it's just kind of the Cavs MO. They, they make a move mid season. Uh, I think by this time last year, they had already brought Corver in, but um, you know, earlier trade deadline this year than, than past year. So that's something to keep an eye on as well, but just kind of looking with the roster as it's constructed now, um, I do feel like there, there could be a revival, especially with the second unit, Uh, To some degree, um, I I would love to see Tristan move back into the starting lineup and Jay Crowder moved into the second unit just because, um, you know, you're looking like last night, for example, um, this was something that was just so frustrating to watch. You look at what Kyle Korver's been able to do this year, and especially, you know, the way he was getting shots up during that hot streak for the team from uh, mid-November into mid-December. I mean, he can't even get a shot off on the perimeter uh, because the way Golden State's defending him and, and they're able to switch guys. And, you know, it, it, in that position, it was a play where in the past you would have Channing Fry setting a screen. And then, you know, he draws attention away a little bit because you have to be able to honor him on the perimeter because he can also shoot the ball. Um, and that frees up Corver. And what you're seeing last night when Tristan's setting those screens, nobody's thinking twice about leaving Tristan Thompson unattended. So now Corver gets covered up and he can't even get a shot off. And, um, you know, I know Jay Crowder hasn't exactly been quite what he has been uh, last year, especially uh, from the outside, but he has a shot that you at least have to acknowledge to a certain degree. Um, that's just one example. And, you know, Sebo back to what you were saying with with J.R. Smith. I I just I'm kind of baffled as to where he's at this year and and what's going on. I mean, obviously he wasn't happy by all accounts getting moved out of the starting lineup, but that got rectified in short order. And um, I just I don't know where you go with with him.
2: Well, have have you ever seen J.R. Smith this gun shy? Yeah,
0: I mean that's... he is
2: he is that's what irks me. I mean, like I don't care if he is. Jacking up 15 threes a game. I mean, he's not even doing that. I mean, at least make guys guard you. He's he's catching the ball wide open, and he's standing there until a defender comes at him. I and mean, now he's now he's trying to drive to the hole all the time. And it, it, he played decent. I'd actually say last night. I mean, he had what eight points, and he was driving the hole. He looked a little bit engaged, but I don't. I don't even think he took a three last night. No, um I could be wrong, but I mean, most games he is. I mean, he is just standing out there on offense, and I. And when Lou was talking about the other day about players having agenda, personal agendas, I, I can't help but think that he's somehow talking about J.R. Smith because clearly something is different with his game where he is just checked out. He he doesn't you know he doesn't want to. I don't know. He's he's he doesn't want to shoot the ball. Uh, he's completely gunshot and I don't know if he's that's some sort of protest on his end. I don't get it.
0: And I don't know what he was just protesting. Bad.
2: Well, that's. Not t- I don't know either. I mean, maybe it's, it's a statement to Lou for trying to bench him in the first place. You know, th- three months ago, I, I don't think that's it. But you know, for for him to be playing thirty minutes a game, the second most minutes on the team, I, I just don't get it. I mean, it's uh, it, it's really bizarre.
1: He was a guy, though, that like when he for the last couple years. Um even when his shots weren't falling, I think everybody was pleasantly surprised with the effort they got out of him on defense. Like, he turned into a pretty respectable wing defender. Um, He he played hard even when his shots weren't falling. And it seems like that, I I think, kind of fed in. They they kind of fed off of each other, and we've heard that, you know, forever, that um, being effective on defense can translate into offense and all that shit. But it almost seems like, I'm not sure which one is having an impact on the other. Um, But it sort of seems like those are related on the opposite side now. And it's not at all the J.R. that we grew accustomed to. It's almost like it's not even like the J.R. that we saw before he was in Cleveland where, you know, it was kind of a knucklehead Um, because even then he was still going out trying to score every night. He's not even doing that anymore. So I don't I'm not sure what he could possibly be protesting or why he would still why why he would still be hung up on that thing from early in the season but um, it's something's got to be done one way or another
0: it's bizarre that I mean this is a guy earlier in his Cavs tenure would love to have an increased degree of difficulty he wanted shots as contested as possible and you could not make a shot difficult enough that he wouldn't pull the trigger on it and now you're seeing, like last night especially, it was glaring just how open he was and not taking shots. Um, and, in, Trav, to your point about him slipping defensively, I think you know I've seen metrics this year having him among the worst guards in the league defensively among starters. And if you're going to be pairing him in the backcourt in the starting lineup with Isaiah Thomas, uh, that's a problem. You, you need somebody back there who can defend, and, and Isaiah – uh, for everything he could give you at the offensive end when his shots are falling. And I, you know, I know he's struggled a little bit here in these past few games and you know, we'll get to him in a minute. But, um, I, I do think his shot will come around, but he's never been a defender and I haven't really seen anything out of him, uh, to this point that's going to change that. So you, it really puts a burden on JR. And if you're not getting that either, it's, it's, it's rough. But, um, you know, let, let's, let's talk about Isaiah. Um, we're now a, a few games in here with him, uh, Simon. What do you uh, what do you make of uh, Isaiah Thomas so far as a Cleveland Cavalier?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's far too early to cast any judgments or uh, get a real feel for where he's at. I mean, we're talking about a guy who uh, had serious hip injury and, and missed seven months, and is. Had no preseason and the Cavs don't practice, so I mean this guy is kind of learning our system, if <laughs> if you want to call it a system, uh, on the fly and you know getting uh, game speed for the first time in seven months. So uh, obviously uh, the results in the you know next couple weeks are are not going to be uh, you know what we may see in the long term over the next couple of months. But um, yeah, I saw some things today. I think Winhurst. Put something out there. Someone covering the Cavs put something out there saying that you know the Cavs' offense has been you know worse with him on the floor. I mean, he's only played what four and a half games, and most of those games were on minute uh, restrictions, and two of them they won. So uh, I I think it's too early to say he's a problem. The Cavs' problems have been going on for for much of this year when it wasn't even there. Uh, I think once he gets going. Uh, and you know gets his legs underneath him and gets his conditioning back I I think uh, I don't think we'll see him in the form he was with Boston over the past couple years but certainly I think he'll be uh, a boost uh, somewhat offensively like you said defensively uh, you know you can't really depend uh, much on him but um, you know I I look forward to when he gets you know 100% acclimated and back uh, you know healthy and you know I think I think he'll provide a boost you know whether it puts us over the top, you know, like we said, I don't think anything can put us over the top right now with Golden State. But, um, you know, I think uh, eventually we'll, you know, we'll get back on track hopefully uh, with Isaiah healthy.
0: Trev, what uh, what do you make of the Isaiah Thomas experience so far?
2: I, I, I tend to agree. I think it,
1: there's not a whole lot you can really take from it. It's far too early. He's. I think we've seen him um, – the one thing I was kind of concerned about was that he might come in gun shy because of the injury and everything. And I don't think that's been the case. No. Um, he hasn't <laughs> been shooting well, obviously he hasn't, been. but I think it's, it's, it's one of those things sort of like you'd like to see with Jr. If he is in a slump, you want to see him, you know, you got to keep shooting. Cause eventually you're going to have to, um, he's still been aggressive. I like the way that he's playing for the most part. Um, you're not, you're not going to be able to overcome the defensive deficiencies. Those are what they are. Um, it's sort of the reason that I was most opposed to the trade when they made it is I just don't think um, if you do, if, if, and when they're playing golden state in the finals, he's not a guy you can have on the floor in crunch time, no matter what, um, just cause he'll get eaten alive by them. So for what he is, I'm, I'm fine with it. I guess so far, like he, like, uh, Nick's just said there's only you can't take too much from it but i i just think his ceiling is is nowhere near where we would need it to be for him to be like a a, a long-term impact player Yeah,
0: you know, i agree to an extent that you know you, you question whether he can be on the floor in crunch time against golden state i almost go the other direction and that i don't really care who the Cavs are throwing out there you're not stopping golden state anyway um so it's
1: put as many guys that can score.
0: Load up on scorers and, and pray not, for rain.
1: Yeah, there's probably some validity to that. That might be fair. Um, I'd, still like, I'd still prefer probably one of those. I mean, we saw it from Shump for, forever ago. Who knows if we'll ever see it again. Um, we even saw it from JR previously. Guys that, you know, were long enough and athletic enough and decent enough on defense where they could disrupt them. You're not going to stop them, obviously, but if you can, you know, Force a couple uh, tough shots that that can I mean that can shift an entire game. Uh, I just don't I don't see uh, it being able to do that at any point. All right, let's uh, let- <laughs> let's start to <with> something <laughs> more positive.
0: No, I, I just I'm I'm trying to you know yeah I, I guess that's probably the the way to go. But let, let's let's talk about this for a second we got the deadline coming up, and the Cavs, I I think, are in a little bit of an interesting spot in that they have some assets to work with trade-wise, but I don't know that there's anybody out there worth trading for. Um, Nick, I'll start with you. If if you – of any name that you've heard floated out there so far – uh, who would be the the trade target that would get you the most excited? I, I
2: haven't heard a name, uh, to be honest with you. I I've been saying since we got this Brooklyn pick, I'm only trading that Brooklyn. And normally I'm in win now mode, but with the uncertainty of LeBron, which I don't want to get into it, but I I think he's coming back. I don't I, I don't I don't think he's leaving, but I. I'm only giving that pick away for a young player with at least two years left on their contract. I'm not giving that pick away for four or five months of DeAndre Jordan or four or five months of Marcus Cousins. It's just too big of a risk. Um, Even with LeBron staying, uh, you know, he's going to be 34 (laughs) next December. You know, you got to – one of the biggest problems we've had in the LeBron era, both pre-Miami and post-Miami, is – other than Kyrie Irving, we've never had we've never been able to build, you know, young stars for LeBron to excel to play with, and part of that's LeBron. He doesn't like playing with young guys. He wants to play with you know veterans who've been there and done that. But you know, it's clear more than ever that this team needs uh, youth. I mean, we're too old. We're too slow, um, and we need to start. You know building some young guys and I'll give it to the Cavs. I mean, the last couple of years, I mean, pretty much everyone we've traded for has been kind of, out of the blue. I mean, Kyle Corver, that wasn't a rumor at all. It just happened. It was a uh, surprise. Pretty much everybody, you know, the Timothy Mozgov and J.R. Smith, there wasn't many rumors about that. It just happened. So I think if anything happens, which I think something will happen. I think it will be, we'll get someone who maybe we're not talking about at all. But as far as trading that Brooklyn pick for for a rental, uh, I'm not doing it because like we've we've all pretty much said, who can you bring in to put you over the top of Golden State? And I think the answer is nobody. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not giving away, uh, you know, seven years of a you know prime 18, 19 year old uh, top five pick for, you know, four or five months of DeAndre Jordan
0: especially with a draft like this, which by all accounts is going to be absolutely loaded. Trev, where do you stand on this with regards to the trade assets?
1: Uh, I, I agree again. I just don't, I don't see any piece out there that I think um, makes, you know, changes our fate at all. The one name that I've heard that has popped up some more again, and I don't know that it's even realistic. Um, it's Paul George. I don't I don't like I said, I don't think it's realistic, but it's the one name that like makes me perk up a little bit and think, you know, that could um that could narrow the gap considerably, I think, because of everything that he can do defensively, because he's a long athletic wing guy who can score, obviously. Um I, I even that I'm probably hesitant because I think I think he's only got one year left, right? I don't know for sure.
2: But, he's a free agent. Yeah, okay.
1: Yeah, okay. So he's got just this year left. Um, would they resign him? Who knows? I don't know. Um, but that's that's about the floor. That's about the worst player that I'm willing to trade that pick for. Um, that's just sort of where I'm at, I think, because I also think he's the type of player that would match up fairly well, at least as well as you can with a Golden State. I don't think DeAndre Jordan... Um, I, I just he's one of those guys who seems like he makes it more complicated i'm not sure he makes you better against golden state he's a good player obviously and you add him to your team and you feel like in general your team might be better but let's be honest we're
2: we're well, trying where to does beat Gold, golden state. where does golden state do all their scoring from the outside so deandre jordan's not going to help you defensively against the warriors i mean you guys, typically, uh,
1: typically but if you if you go back and watch the finals last year they were
2: Get into the rim with these two.
1: So I don't know that he's necessarily a throwaway, but yeah, for the most part, you're right. You can't you can't have a guy camped out down in the paint against them. A lot of them.
0: Alive. A lot of Golden State getting to the rim, though. It's all in transition. I mean, that was something we saw again last night that just blew me away. Every single time the Cavs missed the jump shot from anywhere, it's a you you miss a shot from outside of 15 feet, you're dead because. Golden State's cleaning off the rim and they're up the floor and they've got numbers before you could even, you know, tie your shoes or whatever, but it's, uh, um, you know, the, the one thing I was going to say with regards to the trade assets, I mean, I, I think the Brooklyn pick obviously is the the crown jewel that came in in the Kyrie trade. And I think that's the one that always, uh, everybody kind of defaults to in terms of what's going to be used to attract a, a, a big star in return potentially. But, um, I think the other thing to kind of keep in mind and what's probably more realistic is going to be one of those middle tier guys. And and I think the one thing that the Cavs have going in their favor is it's not just the Brooklyn pick that they can trade. They do have their own pick late in the first round that they could deal instead. They can't trade both of those. They need to have one of them for this year. But um, if they want to use that late first round pick, that's an option. And, you know, there's a real glut of guys that they have that are just, especially once Shumpert and Derek Rose get cleared, if they ever will, especially Derek Rose, I'm not totally convinced he's ever actually going to play again for the Cavs, but um, assuming that he does, you know, you look at just the log jam they've got of point guards. Um, you look at the log jam that they've got on the wing between JR and Shump and um, just all those guys behind him. Uh, they could very easily, I feel like, uh, line up contracts and, and and make the numbers work in that respect. And I wouldn't be entirely shocked to see them try to package up some of those guys and, um, you know, maybe try to look for one of those three and D wing type players. Or uh, uh, and I think that would probably be the direction I'd be going in personally. Um, Throw you know, a
1: name on it. Who you like?
0: You know. Okay, so I don't. He's not the guy I would like. I, I still haven't decided who would necessarily be my first target, but the one that kind of keeps surprising me that I keep getting seen thrown out there is Kent Baysmore. Um, just because I, I, there's a lot of bad blood between him and LeBron, and I think that's both on and off the floor. And I feel like when we're just looking at skill sets and numbers and things like that, that's the kind of thing that gets doesn't really get a lot of attention, and just for the life of me, I can't see any universe in which LeBron and Kent Bazemore are playing on the same team together, and maybe I'm overstating that, but um, that's a real big thing with those two, going back to the whole Nike versus Under Armour thing, and and there have been some other stories written about that as well. Um, Have you guys heard either one of you, uh, Kent Bazemore's name thrown around, and what would you think about him coming to the Cavs?
1: As a player, I think he'd fit just fine. I haven't heard his name, and I honestly have no clue if the the beef between him and LeBron is is significant or just you know one of those things that kind of popped up. And to be quite honest, I don't know that Kent Bazemore registers on LeBron on LeBron's radar a whole lot. Um, I think to really you know to really get under his skin, you kind of have to have a little higher profile than that, um, which is why it continues to baffle me that. Lance Stevenson somehow seems to occasionally succeed at it, but um, I, I think as a player he'd fit just fine. I don't know that it would. That's another one. I, I, I doubt it. It moves the needle a whole lot. It certainly improves him a little bit, but the, the issues you raise, I don't know if I don't know if there's anything to those or not.
2: Well, they I remember last year they worked out Lance Stevenson, so. Um, before Stevenson went That's back right. to Indiana, I'd forgotten all right. about that. Yeah, I totally forgot they, about that. They worked him out. And, um, I, you know, I, I haven't heard too much about Kent Baysmore. I, I heard uh, Wesley Matthews name get, uh, thrown around. Um, you know, obviously you hear, uh, DeAndre Jordan's name, uh, the, the whole, Demarcus cousins. Thing. I mean, why would new Orleans do that? Um, so I think he's out. By the way, New Orleans just beat Boston, so Cavs uh, gained a half game, down to about eight <laughs> games. Um, you know, I mean, Bazemore is only 28. Uh, you know, he, like I said, we're you know trying to get younger. You know, I you know depending on what it would take, um, he's actually making about 16 million this year, um, which is a lot higher than I thought he would have been making, but. Um, you know, I I think, like I said, I think the the move that uh, Kobe Altman ends up making, uh, I think it's going to surprise, you know, I think it's going to be a name out of left field that nobody expected.
0: I would agree. And I would, I actually kind of, that's what I'm hoping for because all the names that have been bandied about so far, are not exactly uh, getting me particularly fired up. So we'll see what happens. Simon, let me ask you this is this rock bottom for this season we, we always gotta call on you when, uh, when when things are reaching their worst is is this the worst or, are we gonna start seeing things turn around on Thursday night I think we got to uh, Indiana coming in
2: uh Orlando Orlando that's right who so, didn't Orlando be just by like 37 earlier this year
0: they did but the Cavs went down to Orlando and beat them yeah
2: um I, you know rock bottom I you know they lost eight to ten um yeah You know, I think um, uh, the Minnesota game was probably rock bottom, being down by over 40. Um, And then uh, the next night in Toronto, being down by uh, 30-plus. I don't know, man. I mean, I just think, you know, we talked about it earlier. It's just, the uh, you know, a lot of this is effort. Um, You know, guys are just, they're they're not playing with much pride. Um, They don't look at all too interested in many of these games. So, you know, it's hard. You you can't tell me that this team isn't talented. I mean, they're very talented. I mean, more talented than Golden State. No, but one of the top four or five teams in the NBA, certainly in the East. Um, So, I mean, it's, it's up to them. I mean, if they, you know, if they were, if they played every game like they did last night, they would, they would be winning most of their games. I mean, they lost last night, but the effort was there for 80 to 85% of the game. And for most nights it's there for about 20% of the game. Um, You know, even the, uh, the uh, Pacers game the other night, you know, you go up 22 in the first half and then you come on the second half and you look completely lethargic. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's tough to gauge this team, you know, cuz like I said, you know, everybody freaks out every January, myself included. I'm very concerned. But um, you know, I I think they still have, you know, easily enough talent as long as they're engaged to get through the East. Um, you know, but again, it's we're no longer just trying to get to the finals, you know, it's all about winning it and you know, something's got to change to win the finals.
1: That's the thing about this season. It almost feels like and I don't know if I'm just being overly negative, but it feels like there is no possible way this is a successful season. Because in theory, if, if everybody seems to agree that um, Golden State is you know considerably better and far more equipped, obviously, to, to, for the finals and, and, and us beating them would be a monumental uh, accomplishment the standard should not be winning a title. That shouldn't be the only way to be successful, but it is, it's kind of where we're at, right? Cause we've been there three times in a row um, and we have the best player in the world. So it's, it's almost like there's, there's it's, it's an incredibly high bar, which is almost a bit unrealistic. I think for fans.
2: Well, when you got LeBron James and his, 15th year i mean what else (laughs) you know yeah yeah exactly yeah exactly i mean if you didn't have lebron and you know we were you know say boston you know getting to the finals would be a huge accomplishment but you know i don't know that's that's where we're at all
0: right boys i think that's probably a good uh, note to wrap it up on Uh, trev any other thoughts that you had or any other questions for nick
1: now nah, let's just all go, go drink some bleach and call it a night.
0: <laughs> tide pods. Everybody's uh, that's what the kids are doing these days. <laughs> yeah, chewing on the I tide pods, see, like, right?
2: They're probably all just Cavs fans.
0: See, yeah. yeah. what's uh, what's your Twitter handle for everybody?
2: Uh, Nick Carabine.
0: All right, go follow name. him on uh, on Twitter. He's uh, always one of my favorite follows during uh, Cavs season. So. Uh, you know,
2: and if, so. uh, if I'm on again this year, that means something drastically bad happened.
0: <laughs> well, we appreciate you joining us tonight. It's, uh, it's fun catching up with you. And uh, here's hoping that uh, we have something good to talk about here down the stretch of the season. So uh, thanks again to Nick Carabine for joining us. As always, you can uh, catch our show on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, or Stitcher. Uh, we are also on waitingfornextyear.com and go like our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash the nail podcast. Uh, Keith Jackson, the uh, college football announcer for ABC Sports, uh, passed away over the weekend and ESPN put up a really great tribute video, uh, shared that on our Facebook page uh, and uh, a lot of his great calls from over the years. And I would strongly encourage you to go check that out as well. So uh, for Travis Julie, I am Tom Valentino. This has been The Nail in the Coffin, and we will talk to you again soon.
3: Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along The Planted Runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you.